Hi everyone, welcome to uh, James Talks. I'm back. Um, yeah, James Prescott here. Um, and guess who's back again? It's um, the first. It's not the first time that somebody's been here three times actually, because Alexander Shire has been on here four times already. Um, but um, these are my. F- it's um, my first ever guests are back for the third time or the fourth Ooh. time if you. The fourth time, if you count the time that they interviewed me, um, it's uh, Chasing Lovely. Welcome back. Hey, hi, what up, people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the wolves are back. Um, the wolves are back. <laughs> 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 yeah, we are the wolves, us three, we are. Um, if we did a joint podcast, it would be the wolf podcast, the wolfy podcast, yeah. Um, and, um, it's always good to talk to, um, to, <laughs> to Chloe and Taylor cause they're awesome and, um, they're very interesting, exciting, <laughs> fun people, creative people with loads of wisdom and <laughs> I know they're going to, they're, they're giggling now, but I mean it. Um, but, um, and it's like, it's one o'clock in the morning, um, when I'm recording this and... And that means I feel it's, like it's one place. And it, I don't know what time it is over. Oh, is it six hours behind? So it's like what? It's about seven o'clock here. Yep. Seven o'clock. Yeah. See, so it's one one a.m. here, and uh, seven o'clock over there, and it's still bright outside because I can see outside their window on the scope. Um, <laughs> and um, but it's yeah, it's one o'clock, one o'clock in the morning. So we're gonna <laughs> talk about a few things, and um, as we always do. And there's some exciting stuff that I think Chloe and Taylor are going to be talking about. And new projects, new ideas, and new thoughts, and stuff they've been reading. And so um, it's going to be exciting. So um, so how are you guys? Um, just uh, get us up to speed. How are you? What are you doing? We are pretty good. We have been keeping ourselves busy with work and music and friends and all the random things that we like to do yeah this month of august we've been um playing a lot of uh we've got four shows i believe at a restaurant in nashville in nashville called cinema um we're doing the first four wednesdays of august we're playing there for hour and a half every wednesday so that's been a lot of fun yeah definitely we hadn't we hadn't played we're not playing shows as consistently as we were when we were touring. So I, I didn't realize, but like shows give me so much energy. And when I don't play them, I guess I lose it for a while. So now that I have a show to play on a weekly basis, I can re-energize for the week at that. And then, and you know, I always have something to look forward to. So it's been, that's been, uh, exciting and they give us delicious food that I like to eat um. <laughs> yeah and right now we're in the process of booking our fall shows winter shows Chloe and I might be doing a Christmas show yeah we're trying to come up with an idea for Christmas shows um, so because every year our great uncle does the Christmas service at his retirement home and yeah. he is 91 or 92 this year yeah he is up there, guys. He, I don't know. 
he should not be doing this anymore, but he does. And uh, so all of our family is supposed to participate. And so the last few years we've been participating by singing some kind of Christmas song. Um, and so we're, we're thinking about doing a Christmas show this year for the month of, you know, everywhere from Thanksgiving on to uh, Christmas. Because that's always a slow time of year for us because everybody's in holiday mode. And uh, I would love to go to shows and drink eggnog and yeah. have Christmas cookies and like a Christmas tree in the background and sing Christmas carols and stuff. That sounds like my jam. So we're trying to figure that out. Um, awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah, you're up to your usual adventures. Um, um Oh, that's great. Great. So, yeah, um, okay. So, everyone, if you're not familiar with Chasing Lovely, um, first go to iTunes and find Chasing Lovely and download their EP, Unbridled, which is amazing. Go to YouTube and find them. Yes. Um, and they've got a couple of new songs up there, which I personally think are the best stuff they've ever done. And the other stuff's pretty good. Huh? This stuff is unbelievable. A couple of recent songs I've done, um, which just move me so much. Um, yeah. Um, so tell us about your... Because you've written a few songs recently, some yeah. newer songs. Um, uh-huh. Tell us about those, and tell us about the the kind of creative project you're working on, which includes those the kind of arc you're you're finding for this work? Yeah, um, we've uh, written several songs, and I think uh, maybe it was a couple weeks ago that I was sort of, I was up in my room, and I'm not even sure exactly what I was doing. I think I was either going through the voice memos in my phone or flipping through my songwriting notebook. And there was this point where I was looking over everything that I'd been writing lately and I started to notice a theme or a pattern that kind of strung its way through every single thing that I was writing. Oh, it was, I was working on the song, the skeletons. We have a song called skeletons and, um, (laughs) and I was, I, I was looking, I guess I was looking over the lyrics in that song and we had, um, in the chorus, this is an unreleased song, so this might not make a whole lot of sense, but in the chorus, the, the first line of the chorus, should we just sing the chorus? If you want to. Should we just yeah, I'll <laughs> grab the guitar? And Go everyone. <laughs> just because like, if you just read the lyric, it's not going to have the same effect as if you like sing it oh and so I, we're getting a worldwide preview here of this song oh maybe oh. just like diamond it yeah i'm going to oh man this is great i love this a world exclusive everybody of this new song yeah. called skeletons oh yeah so this is just like the chorus the pertinent line for what i'm about to talk about there are things that we don't talk about, messes that we made, closets full of skeletons, risen from the grave. There are things that we don't talk about. 
Cause it's full of skeletons, full of skeletons. Oh, so that's the new. Boom. Uh, love it, love it, love it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Thank you. It's been, it's been one that's been around for a minute, but um, is being reborn into something that we are going to like. Yeah, so um, I, was, I was looking over at that chorus, and the first line says, there are things that we don't talk about. And something about when I was looking at the line, um, and I was just looking through all of the songs, and I thought, that's what this, that's what this body of work that I've been creating is all about. Every single song is is made up of these kind of mm. darknesses that we don't like to address, that are kind of taboo, and we're not having the conversations or discussions that we need to. We're silent on a lot of these things. Um, so I guess if you even look like at a song like Cold War. Yeah, um, yeah I was thinking that, yeah. It, it addresses kind of a silence in a relationship between two people and about how they're experiencing issues, but they're not talking about them. Um, so that one falls under, under the umbrella of things that we don't talk about. Um, the new song that we just uh, released as a free download on Noise Trade yesterday um, called Always and Never Enough. Um, I think there's a lot uh, in that song that we don't address or that we don't talk about or that we like to gloss over as far as maybe our history being honest about our past and our transgressions but I think also being honest about the positivity that there is or the hope that there that does exist Mm -hmm. um um what is the first line um there's a hope and hopelessness we can't deny Mm. That kind of stuff, I think a lot of the times the negativity in our culture, just in this time period, is overshadowing the hope and positivity that people are fighting for, and it's getting kind yeah. of drowned out. So so that song as well is something that um, I think falls under the umbrella of things we didn't talk about. And um, there are several other songs that uh, we've been writing that also kind of capture that message. And so I texted Chloe after I had this sort of light bulb moment. And I said, <laughs> I said, Chloe, I know what our next album is supposed to be about. <laughs> I was like putting all these exclamation points. <laughs> it was, I think it was like two in the morning or some really ridiculous hour. I wasn't expecting you to text back. You're like, oh, really? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I pretty much kind of laid out the concept. Uh, oh, I, I love mean, it I'm pretty happens. excited about it too. But I love it, it when also that helped us give a direction. For the rest of the project, for the for the stuff that we're writing from here on out, and saying, well, yeah. what else is it being said? Yeah, that needs to be included on this. So oh. I believe that is um, things we don't talk about is probably going to be the title of our next album. Things we don't talk about. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love mean, it. it what, we, what we don't talk about when we talk about no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's my Bob Bell joke there. Um, yeah, always. Um, things we don't talk about. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah. Oh man, you could write. A, oh, I, think I could write. A, I could write a book on that. Oh. <laughs> oh you want to release it coinciding with our album? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, just we, like, we have to talk. Just, uh, yeah, finish it up in the next, like, few weeks, few months, and, you know. <laughs> I'll get you to contribute pretty, to it. Pretty easy, like, quick, like, just write a book, right, real quick. <laughs> yeah, because writing a book doesn't take very long. Um, no, and it's just going to studio takes so yeah, it'll just take us as long. It'll take us just as long. You know, it's always like add two months to whatever you think your end date is in the studio because that's always. What it's going to be like a, a full album, like a full ten track album, or just another week. We have no idea. Um, I think once. Once we're able to release all of the songs, I don't know in what format that's going to be just because of finances. It, um, we might release things as singles, but once all of the songs are recorded in the studio, I would love to compile it onto an album. I would love to be able to help support you in that. That would be um, that would be great because I, I just like when I first heard Cold when I first heard. Cold War. I knew there was something going on. There was something more. <laughs> there was something more to it than when I heard that song. I thought there's something. There's some deeper themes going on here because you know there's something more to that than just that song. And then I heard that that new one, which oh man, I don't think I've yeah. I can't express how I feel about that song. Um, and the title in it itself is just. I think what was it? It's enough, not enough, or um, always and never enough. Always and never enough. Exactly. Yeah. It's just yeah. Uh, if any song is apt for what's happening in America right now, that song um, is um, yeah. So there's something going on. I'm excited about seeing that. Thank you. Um, yeah, that one's just definitely uh, a process to get written. That one took seven months, six, seven months to write, um, that Taylor and I were consistently, not con like consistently, consistently, but we would write a verse here, uh, a verse there. And we had, um, we thought we were finished, um, about a month ago with it. And, and then when we had arranged it and everything, we're like, we have to, there's something more we have to say. I don't know what it is. But there's something that we need to say. No, I, I remember we. it was one afternoon and we were sitting down. I think we were playing the song maybe where we were rehearsing it because we were ready to perform it. And I sat there. I, just, I, I couldn't even put my finger on it. I said, there's a, there's, pro there's like one or two verses that are missing from this song and we need to write them. <laughs> Chloe's looking at me like, seriously. I've been, I've been wanting to play this song since we wrote the first two verses in December. Yeah. Um, or November. It was Thanksgiving. Yeah. I think sometimes like when you're excited about something, you want to jump the gun and you just want to put it out into the but world. But you can't. You have to be patient. You have to wait for it to be finished. And we waited a long time for that one to be finished. Yeah, it's only finished um, when it's finished, isn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, I've actually got a project, which it's weird. It's not a project that I. It's not my fault. It's not the book I'm writing at the moment, but in a sense, it's a book I'm writing for some time in the future. Like, I'm just uh -huh. writing stuff down that's coming to me, stuff basically from my own story, what's happening to me now, what I'm thinking about now, 
reflections. I'm just getting it out now um, while it's yeah. in me, and it's de definitely not in the way the format that it will be in the end. It's probably not uh, even. Okay. It's probably not even the. It's probably not even the the actual work that it will be in. It's not probably not the actual writing that it will be. It'll probably be taken from that. It'll probably be a rewrite of that. But it's just raw ideas, you know. Yeah. Um, cool. And I don't know what it looks like yet. I've just got this file which says memoir. Wow. And I don't know what it will look like. I've written thousands of words in it. But I don't know yep. what it's going to be or when it's going to come out or what it's going to be about. I don't know that yet, you know. So I know exactly what you mean. This is not a... Yeah, I think this happens in all kinds of art. That You just... You start somewhere. You don't know where it's going. You just go with it. Yeah. And then one day yeah. you just have a like boom, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, when it comes, like it comes easily, but you you have to wait for it to arrive. Yeah, yeah, and that's the creative process. Um, <laughs> um, and it's a long process, but it's worth it. I love that. I love the. I love that. And if you're like, I know there'll be writers and creative people listening to this. That light bulb moment. It doesn't just happen normally. It's, it's you get there through a process of evolution in a sense, and work and just undigging what's inside of you already. And yeah, you start to see what it is, and that is a magic moment. But then you realise you've got to do more work to make it into that. Um, yeah, I almost feel like too that the more work that you do, or the more that you're keeping keeping your creative process flowing and keeping it relevant, it it speaks more true to who you are at the moment and and it's closer. Like if, if we just played our songs from two years ago for the rest of our life, that wouldn't authentically speak to where we're at right now or mm. um, who we are. Yeah right now and so that's why I think it's so important for creative people to continue to keep moving forward because creating. even like I know I've had friends who have had albums out for two three years and I listened to it when I first came out and I thought it was fine but it wasn't like my favorite and then two years later I decided to go back and listen to it and it's been the most life-changing album and I'm like, how did I not hear this before? Well, it's because I wasn't in a place to hear it. And luckily, they're moving forward and making new records about new things that I'll be able to experience and relate to, hopefully in different times. Um, so instead of just making the same album over and over again, you have to be authentic to what you're experiencing and yeah. the point you're at in your life and your human experience. So Yeah, I mean, there's that experience of there's that... Thing I talked about, I've talked about before about you two and the process of making Acting Baby. You know, the story behind that is fascinating. Once you know the story, it's the album's just different. It, you know, uh -huh. and it's like they could have stayed where they were and made the same album again, but they chose not to. You know, yeah. um, and actually, I saw, um, I don't know if you've seen this, I'd recommend this to everybody. Uh, there's a documentary movie on Amy Winehouse, yeah, Amy. And the story of that is tragic, obviously, a very tragic story. But the thing was, at the end of her life, she'd kind of changed her ways and everything. And 
the stuff that she'd sung about in her in that the album that she made which made her really big you know the rehab song it didn't yeah. kind of, she was having to sing it but it didn't feel like it was true anymore she didn't yeah. want to yeah. sing it anymore because it was because it said something about part of her life that she wanted to leave behind right she didn't want to perform it anymore you know she wanted to just move on and and when you see the movie you you really connect with that it's like this song didn't describe who she ultimately was at the right at the end of her life you know yeah. it wasn't who she was anymore and it had been who she was for a long time but right at the end of her life it wasn't who she was anymore um it was almost like a different person made that you know yeah and it's really interesting and very powerful um how that happens you know that a piece of work a piece of creative work is a reflection of who you are at the time you made it yep. but then, yeah you could look back on that and it's yeah uh, it's completely different yeah than who it's crazy yeah definitely and it's interesting to see how you've evolved creatively as well like <laughs> even from when you were first on on James Talks you know um because when you were just on first on James Talks, you just released Unbridled. You know that was just yeah. out on iTunes, and you know that was what you were doing. And uh, now you're just moving on. You're growing, and some of the stuff, the new songs you're coming out with, are just there's definitely a growth there, and creative growth, and maturity, and yeah, and there's sign, and you can see that you're growing. Just through the songs, um, so I guess that's encouragement for you. But I think that's also um, I think that's also important for everybody who's a, an artist to hear that that to keep growing and evolving. We need to be growing and evolving, and yep. and our art that's that's the only way our art's going to keep growing and evolving. So um, yeah. Hmm. So, what do you? I mean, what's been behind? What do you think's been behind this? Like, what, what have you been reading and thinking about? What's been going on for you that might? Do you think might have been taking you in this direction? Um, I would say, uh, speaking specifically to uh, always and never enough. I think you have a lot of art our values and our beliefs and kind of our spirituality injected into, into that song, which if, if you, if you're not really reading a lot or in that world or in that realm, you might not pick up on it immediately. But, um, Taylor made a joke at one of our shows about non-duality and that song basically being a song focused around non-duality and, non-dualistic thinking which mm. was kind of funny and I think everyone laughed uncomfortably because I didn't know what it was <laughs> <laughs> I, when I got the laugh I was like wow do people are they are they on my on, on the same page no right it's because I made a comment like what the heck Taylor <laughs> <laughs> oh man I, I get excited when I can geek out with people I kind of there was one guy after that show though that was like he you could tell he came up to us and he got it uh-huh. He got it, and that's what we write these songs for. For you know, ninety percent of your audience at any given moment might not really get and be connecting with the song in the moment, 
but that 10% or even that 1% who will makes all the difference. Mm. Um, there's been songs that Taylor's written that I didn't connect with immediately, but then I experienced something else and I'm connecting with it immensely and it's my favorite song and because I'm going through something that I can relate to on a whole new level. But yeah, that non-duality joke at our show was hilarious. Yeah, so I would say um, a lot of that that aspect of things like uh, spirituality, non-duality, um, reading um, Richard Rohr or um, some of Pope Francis' uh, speeches, and um, I think I think a lot of that was permeating my mind, and I think a lot of just those beliefs and reading a lot of those kinds of ways of lines of thought. Well, and just, yeah, recognizing in our daily lives what where we tend to veer towards dualistic thinking just because that's what most of us do. We think that... It's habitual. Yeah, it's, it's something we were taught or just the way that we think. So actively fighting that for the last year um, will start to change your mindset. You'll say something and... Taylor and I always joke, well, you know, I don't mean it like this, and you know that this could have different outcomes, and it's not all bad, and it's not all good, and all this kind of, we'll go on these tangents just to clarify um, what's going on in our brains. Yeah. Um, so I would say that. I would say, um, like, the stuff about stars and dust and all that kind of stuff, that's just like a tiny little injection of just how I like to read up on <laughs> space, um, science, science, scientific things, um, that kind of stuff. Um, and then I would say ultimately the heart of, uh, my work lately has just really been a, a connection to the root of humanity and some of the grief that I've been experiencing for others grief, if that even makes sense. Um, mm. like when I see some of the stuff that's happening to other people around the world, it's just, it puts me in literal pain and I, I can't always separate other people's grief from my own grief because I just feel so strongly for them. Um, I don't know if I'm even explaining this in a way that, that remotely makes sense, but, um, it, it's definitely had, um, like a tremendous effect on me and uh and I would say I was kind of in a, a bit of a dark place um just feeling very very depressed about uh humanity and the direction but I I ultimately said well this isn't I don't be I don't believe that we are th that this is the end that we are doomed that we are incapable of love and of being better and that is ultimately my belief. And so I had to remind myself of that and um, start saying I want to be the I, I want to be one of the voices, one of the, the many voices that um, is pushing for that and is um, voicing that belief and putting it out there because I think you know a lot of negativity negativity can overshadow it. So always be, being kind of a positivity. Um, is very 
very important hmm. for me. So obviously, it's just a lot of what's been happening in our culture that has been inspiring hmm. what we've been creating. Interesting. That is really <laughs> interesting. Uh, I mean, there is there is a lot happening, you know. Um, the atmosphere has definitely been quite difficult this year, and I've noticed it here in the UK. I remember after the the referendum result came through, yeah, like the next morning, and I said this elsewhere, but you could feel a weight of negativity around everywhere. It was, I mean, it was a physical thing. You could feel it. Wow. Like London voted pretty much to remain, and. So when the the vote came through to leave, I went to work that morning and no one was smiling on the train. No one was in a good mood. No one was talking to each other. Everyone was down. Everyone was looking down. And you could feel it. You could feel the atmosphere. It was just so negative. It was like a collective grieving. It was a, a weight. Like, it was like, what have we done? You know, um... And it, and you, if we felt that we're still feeling that to a certain extent, but that level of negativity and fear and panic and anger and grief and stuff that lasted for you know at least five, you know it's only just dissipating I would say you know um, so. Um, and I'm saying this in August, you know, the middle of August. It's you know, uh, it was about six weeks ago we had the referendum. It's only just dissipating, and I know that in America that's been. And I don't know whether this is going to go out before or after the election, but um, that 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 atmosphere has been palpable as well. I and mean, we felt that over here. You know, yeah, Donald, definitely. With you know the gun crime and and Donald Trump and. Um, you know, you, we, that's it's tangible, and um, and to be honest, even if Donald Trump loses the election, it's not just going to go away. You know, uh-huh. um, although I don't know what would happen if Donald Trump won the election. The, um, we might end up finding out. <laughs> yeah, by the time you listen to this, you might we might have well found out. You know, um, <laughs> so um, but um. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine that would be on a bigger scale. Uh, there would be, wouldn't just be a collective grieving in half of America. There would be in the rest of, in the rest, a lot of the world would be feeling it as well. I'm pretty sure. So, um, yeah, it's. I think there's a lot of people who are feeling that way, who have got things they need to express. I mean, I've, I've written some blog posts about the need for unity and for. Um, love and grace and um, to not let hate and division and stuff get control because I've been feeling that there's been such a lot of division and so those things do seep into our creativity there's no doubt about it yeah I I would say you know other people's creations um, are greatly inspiring for me, and what just 
anything that I come across to on come across on a daily basis. Um, I don't think we've really ever um, talked about. Uh, there, there is a line in that song um, that was directly inspired from a photograph that Chloe showed me. Yeah, we were um, we were, were writing part of this a, a little bit after um, the whole Syrian refugee crisis. After meaning after the initial like um, hmm. massive uproar about what was going on and everyone, you know, America shutting most people out and a, a lot of. Americans saying, oh, well, we need to protect ourselves. We need to, you know, they might be terrorists. They might, we can't let them into our country, blah, blah, blah. Um, and there was a photo that got released of the little boy who drowned and he washed up on the shore. Mm. And Taylor had never seen that photo, and I was kind of trying to say, like, we need to talk about this. This is something that we don't we don't recognize, and and you and you see these things, and we just see we think about Syrian refugees and ISIS. People say terrorists. They don't see human. They don't see child. They don't think like individual they think oh mass amounts of people well mass amounts mm. of people are made up by individuals mm. and these are the things that they're risking for themselves and for their family because their situation is so bad and she had never she never saw that photo i was like, yeah it's like a photo of that that little boy and she's like what are you talking about what are you talking about and i pulled it up on my phone and I showed it to her, and she just instantly starts bawling. Like, just the, that image, you know, you see that, and you see a human life. And that's, that was the state of what was happening. And we just sit by and argue about if people are terrorists or not. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I was not, um, I, I certainly wasn't ready for that when she showed it to me. Um, yeah, she was like, oh, there's just, you know, this photo has been all over everywhere. And I was like, you know, so when, when you think of something that's like massively been everywhere, I just don't, I guess I wasn't even, I had no idea what to prepare myself. I don't think you really can prepare, prepare yourself for, um, Mm. for something like that um uh so I think kind of when when you can take something and kind of you know every time that we sing can keep it together but at the same time it's a constant reminder for me as a human being of what what I need to be doing um so I think that's one of the really for me personally 
one of the powerful things about music is that like every day I'm reminding myself over and over what needs to be done. Um, and, and, uh, it's tough, but I would say necessary. Yeah. We can easily numb ourselves to these things, can't we? I mean, I, Mm -hmm. I know in my own experience, I've, learn to numb myself to pain, grief, you know, growing up in a difficult childhood, difficult home, and then losing a parent, you know, being the eldest, and just learning to numb everything, you know, um, even positive emotion, you know, because when you numb things, you don't get a choice as to what you numb, you just numb everything, so when I say, you see a picture like that, and it's like, you know, like, this is awful, yeah. This is horrible. But you don't let yourself feel it. You know, not on a conscious level, but subconsciously. You know, it's like you're blocking yourself. But you know that this is awful. And yeah. you kind of want to, because I wish I could feel that more. I wish I could connect with, because I do, I think I have those feelings. I think we all do. I think everyone does. I think it's just that many of us have learned to numb ourselves to things we get so used to things yeah even with a lot of the shootings that were happening here um with the police shootings you know we'll come and my mom will call us or tell us about hey did you hear about this somebody else got shot and you're just like yep that's what happens in this country and there's another mass shooting and you just go, wow, again? And that was initially how I had reacted to Orlando, too. I was busy. I had a busy day. I was working. I was going to CMA Fest that night, um, which is a country music festival. Mm-hmm. And then I was driving home from it. Um, and the there's a pedestrian bridge here in Nashville and it was lit up and I had been reading articles throughout the day about like what had happened and um, the reality of what had happened like sat in as I was driving home and you know you just I was just like oh wow like I've just been going going I've been numbing myself to everything that's been happening if I didn't stop and like allow myself to think about this and you know I could have just turned on the radio and blasted it and forgot or talked about how cool Keith Urban was or you know whatever and I could have numbed it and but I saw I saw that our bridge lit up rainbow colors and I was like the reality of 49 people being killed and the situation in which they were in beforehand where you're just feeling hopeless, like I'm next when, when, um, you know, I'm going to be another statistic. Like you can't, you can't avoid what's coming. That heaviness starts to sit in and affect you Mm -hmm. and was affecting me for days and was affecting my friends. Um, some of my really close friends who started to feel afraid because they know that they have been targeted in some of these situations. And, Mm -hmm. um, and 
you eat that stuff you just can't ignore after a while um and you shouldn't ignore um yeah well yeah that had a big impact over here as well i mean i gotta say and again you know that what that transcended america i think yeah. Um, and I know I remember when that happened. I, I've been thinking about doing a podcast episode on guns and from a different yeah. kind of perspective for a while. And I just procrastinated and not done it. And um, more than one person had said I should do it and I hadn't done it. And then this happened and I thought, you know what? That's enough. This is enough. This has to stop. This, is, this, is, this can't go on like this. This, this is just wrong. I have to say yeah. something. I have to say something. Because if I don't say something, I'm just not... I'm absolving my responsibility to, to do, of doing something, you know. This is this yeah. is what I have... This is my platform. This is my gift. This is what I what I can do. I don't even live in America, so I can't even vote or anything. But what I can yeah. do is... This is what I can do. And so I'm. that's what I did, you know. And that was the only way I could express that. And... There was a bit of anger in that because I was like, "Is it so? Is it so? Like, um, you know, it's it's so obvious to us that this is crazy. It's so obvious to a lot of people in America that this is crazy. That this goes yeah. on. So how how can this? We can't let this go on. It's got to stop. You know. Um, and um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think when we, um, when we, for me, it's just, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around, I understand rights and the importance of rights, but I feel like when we are so concerned about holding tightly or having the rights to weapons, I mean, I'm just, I'm so anti-violence on every single le- level to the point where I don't even short of my complete animal instinct kicking in if I was in a very extremely highly threatening situation if I had the conscious choice I could not kill another person I just couldn't live with myself regardless of how quote evil the other person or how ill-intentioned they are towards me um I could not so I you know just this obsession with our own protection, our own safety and the preservation of, of self-preservation. self-preservation is so, I guess, mind boggling to me. And the fact that we are even fighting about this or arguing about this, um, it's not like you're, you're not closely clutching, you know, a teddy bear. You're clutching to, to like an AK 47. And to me, that picture is just very, like just so messed up in every single way. So, um, I, I guess I, I just don't understand obsession with, with weaponry and something that is, is meant to, and has the capability of, of killing. And, uh, so that, that, uh, uh I will not be able Well, and to. I think especially in the religious community, it's hard to see, we live in the South. Uh, people like their weapons. They like Jesus. They like their family. They like their trucks. And sorry, I'm getting a little stereotypical. But um, no, like religion and guns are huge in the South. 
um, mm. Christianity. The first question most people ask you, not most people, but, you know, 30% of people you run into in your first conversation will ask you where you go to church. They're assuming that you're religious. They're assuming that you're Christian, and they want to know where you stand. Um, and and I don't understand the ability to see how guns and self-preservation align with Jesus. Like, yeah. I just don't, I don't see it at all. Like, I, to me, it's so obvious that Jesus never said, first protect your family, and then if you've done that, if you can take care of them, then maybe you can... Love I mean, can you can you even envision a portrait of Jesus holding a gun, guarding a house full of his disciples? I just don't see it. No, nope. I, I don't see that. I, I don't see don't that see image that. even being a possibility. Yeah, I don't think Jesus ever held a gun to anyone's head, as I remember, or a knife, or a, or a weapon of any kind. Actually, pretty sure he disarmed. I'm pretty sure that. Sure. I mean, to me, that's. The, <laughs> The crucifixion of Jesus is about is a, it's literally saying, "You do your worst to me, culture. You do society, whatever. You do your worst to me. You unleash all the forces of violence on me, and I will not resist you. I will not fight back. I will not give in to your way of doing things. I will just yeah. submit to it, and let and and yeah, you'll kill me. But actually." That doesn't. That's not even the end of the story, you know. That actually, and the resurrection is about is about saying, you violent. The way of violence did its worst to me, and I'm still here, and I resisted it, and I, you know, and I won. But, but actually, violence can only go so far that it doesn't, it doesn't solve a problem. It doesn't. Right. It doesn't. Yeah. It's not the way to. It's not. There's this kind of. Well, I think I've heard Rob Bell talk about the myth of redemptive violence, you know. Oh. That, that, and that comes from a, a, a theology which says that, well, violence killed Jesus, and that, and Jesus basically... Um, well, and God commanded that violence. Yeah, that God wanted, yeah, that God demanded, God demanded some violent kind of um, atonement for what we'd done. So instead yeah. of us getting the violent atonement from God and getting burnt for all eternity and tortured, um, Jesus got violently punished instead. And I um, guess I yeah. guess that when you see that people feel that way about God, it makes sense that they believe in their own self-preservation or they believe it's okay in some ways to kill because they believe that God needed some death and blood too so that's I guess it's something well I guess, it, I guess it's, it's also, it's also a measure of faith as well because if you fear death that intensely to the point where you're willing to kill somebody else I mean if, if you claim that your beliefs are in God in Jesus in you know um, eternal yeah. life or such it, it boggles I find that people are so afraid to die. Hmm. It's a natural human instinct to be afraid to die. I'll tell you what the biggest thing that we do, though, as human beings, is that 
we don't think about death and talk about death. We talk. Yeah. We we try and change the subject. We. And I don't, I'm like, I don't understand this. You know, it's like we talk about like death doesn't. If you're if you're a Christian, death isn't death isn't the end. It's like. It's just another doorway to another part of life. You know, I actually heard this thing at Dawson's Creek. <laughs> Dawson's Creek's going to come in here. In the last episode of Dawson's Creek, um, one of the main characters dies, and they, and they um, and they said that uh, there's a quote saying that life is not the opposite of death. Mm. Birth is the opposite of death. Yeah. Life doesn't have an opposite. Life just goes on. Life continues. You know. And I love that. It's, it makes it, it's like, like Forrest Gump says, you know, death is a part of life. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And it's, it's just like, and, you know, but we can't, but ultimately though, even though if you've, even if we believe that there is like life after death, whatever you believe about that, it's still in your kind of physical instinct, in a sense, your animal instinct to protect yourself, because you yeah. you don't want to you don't want to die something, and you don't want to die now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and the animal instinct is always violence. <laughs> but we're more evolved than that now, you know. Yeah, and I think that's why it's so important to, to if, if that is what you believe, to constantly practice that and to, um, I don't even meditate on it. Because even when I was saying earlier, I said I can't really foresee, foresee a place in where I would have the capacity to kill somebody. But a couple months ago, I, I got a really bad... Um, injury when I was cooking in the kitchen, um, where I cut my thumb, I thought, I was, thought I sliced my thumb off. Um, <laughs> and, so dramatic. Uh, no. And, um, there was tons of blood and I, I never realized that I had an aversion to blood. I had never experienced that before in my life and, and um, nearly passed out <laughs> from just seeing it. And, that was an instinct that was uncontrollable for me. However, I, I didn't, I, I was able to understand about myself about what it feels like to faint, that I was able to use my mind to stop it from happening um, and take the precautions that I needed to take, even though I was having a lot of survival or whatever you know just human bodily instincts that were happening that I couldn't control but I think it's the same thing with if you are in survival mode and somebody is attacking you you don't you can't you cannot fully say how you are going to react no you can't it's but but when you are not in the situation when you're just sitting around you can actively be preparing yourself in case and in case something like that were to happen to try to curb what your survival instinct is and to try to do to try to take action in the way that you'll be able to live with yeah yeah, yeah. this is yeah um reminds me of man of steel um <laughs> we've talked about a lot of films today but, um <laughs> 
at the end of Superman's like this, like it's all about Superman is all about not killing people. Yeah. And but in Man of Steel he's fighting with General Zod, he's got the same power he has. And as just said, if 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 he stays alive he's just gonna kill millions of people. And like saying that, you know, he said to, he says to Superman like you know that not one, the, the only way this ends is that if one of us dies and he's killing and so he gets into this position where he's General Zod's like firing out on all these innocent human innocent people who are going to die if he keeps firing his what, what he vision out on them and Superman's like well the only way I can save these people is by killing him and like if he doesn't if I don't kill him then he's going to do this to millions of other people so he breaks his neck, and then he just. But then, he kneels down on the floor, drops in, and just breaks down. Because it's like, I didn't want to do that, <laughs> you know. You know, this is not who I want to be. This is not what I am. This is not, you know, this is not the kind of person I want to be. Um, yeah. But I kind of like, like, I can't live with myself because of this. It's like, you know. Um, and he's grieving that he's had to do that and and that was yeah and I think you know I mean what happens if it's if it's literally you or them like if you don't kill them they will kill you you know it's do you just say alright kill me or do you or what I mean it's yeah that's something I've struggled with too um, Taylor a while ago had asked me when I just started getting into nonviolence and stuff, you know, if somebody was coming after you and going to kill you, like, I'd hope that you would be able to take them before they were, like, if you had the ability to, I'd hope you would do it. And because, and she reasoned with me saying, you know, that you're going to have a much more positive impact on this world than anyone than somebody who is, is, you know, going to go out there and murder people or whatever. And I was like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. I agree with you. Maybe you've changed my mind. But then then my faith uh, starts popping back in my, you know, draw towards looking at the life of Jesus. And I, I think about would he have done that or did he do that? And that's where I start to struggle because I don't think he would. And I don't think he did. He allowed himself to be killed by his enemies. And he knew he's, if, if he was the son of God, if he was, if he was God, you know, why wouldn't that make a better impact to have on this world than all these other people who just didn't understand? He could have explained himself a little more. Like you, you, he, he, he knew all of that and he allowed himself to be murdered and that that's the struggle that I always come back to is in in questioning what I should do in that situation um hopefully I never have to run into it but yeah I don't know I'm still I'm still up in the air I don't know but even going back to what you said about a person potentially being more of a detriment to this earth than you and you're going to be the better person to be living on and you're going to be more positivity. I mean, even if you look at it, um, a perfectly good person can spiral into something completely, you know, um, other 
Mm-hmm. And, and and even um, do you remember when we were watching that video with Jeremy Cowart about the what was it like the redemption or forgiveness? Yeah, um, documentary that that's they somebody did. you need to have on your podcast, James. This man named Jeremy Cowart, and he briefly spoke about a documentary where two people basically um, were taking a photo um, at the site of a murder where one person had murdered the other person's family and they had gone through a process of forgiveness and reconciliation and it was after one of the genocides in Africa and Mm. these people who you know used to be friends but then one got drawn in by this group and had to kill someone else's family you know they reconcile and you see that there can be redemption in these moments. Um, so somebody that you might look at as completely evil or, um, you know, when you, when you were talking about the fact, like, yeah. if someone was trying to murder you, um, you should murder them instead before they can get to you because you're going to be a more positive effect upon the world. You're going to be a better human to keep alive. But there have been so many stories of redemption or where people turn their life around and they try and they end up doing good for the world. So even if, even if at the lowest moment you're seeing a snapshot of their worst of what their worst is capable of, you don't know that in 25 years they couldn't have done amazing, great, positive things for the world. Yeah. I think that's, and I think that's part of the truth of Christianity is that there is redemption for everyone. And I think that's something that our society doesn't see. We throw people in jail and we don't, we're not trying to rehabilitate. Um, we're trying to contain. And, and I think that's wrong. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The answer to the problem is not just simply to contain it. You've got to, you got to work at people to try and transform their lives and transform yeah, them. Yeah, I think we have to have some kind of hope that people can be better and that this world can be better. Or even ask the question of what made them want to do this in the first place. I think solve the root of the problem rather than... Yeah. I think when many people steal, it's not out of, out of a bad place because... I think a lot of the times people are stealing because they are trying to get needs met and because they, um, it's not necessarily necessity, but I do believe that if you look at the demographic of people stealing, they would probably be a lot of low income people who, um, are trying to get by and are really keep up up with society and, they might have what they need, but they don't have something that will give them status, and that's something that we value in this society or in our country. And um, so, if we looked at the problem, which the root is of the problem, saying that a certain item of luxury has value or makes you more popular or liked better mm-hmm. um, or received better by the human race. Um, we might not have as much stealing because we wouldn't, people wouldn't be valuing all that materialistic stuff. Thus, how many people wouldn't be put in jail for stealing specifically? And mm. maybe instead of looking at the person needing to be rehabilitated, maybe, maybe looking at our culture needing a little bit of yeah. rehabilitation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and looking at, it's about, it's about dealing with, um, dealing with, 
not just not dealing with the, just the symptoms, although dealing with the symptoms is important, but actually dealing with what the root of the problem is, what the root of the virus is in the first place. You know, the cultural virus, I suppose, that you're talking about. Exactly. Um, and, yeah, and that's yep. where, you know, um, we begin with we're enough. You know, if we begin with that, instead of beginning with you have to earn your value comes from what you do and how much money you have and what you earn and your relationships and and whatever, that, you know, changing the culture and actually saying that you have value because you're alive and giving people hope that there's there is a way back from even the lowest point um that's what we need you know um and you know yeah. bringing it back to the music and the creative stuff you know creative work is how is, is we need creativity because creativity is how we imagine a new a new world and a new tomorrow it's how we yeah and it's through in you know through art and writing and music and all of that People yeah, often, you might make a suggestion where people start to see a reality that is different from what we are currently experiencing, and I guess that's kind of the goal, to get people to see something that um, they might not have otherwise have realized. Or hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, so I, for ourselves... Um, and I hope to encourage others to be putting a lot of hope and positivity in what they're releasing creatively as well as, you know, I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's cheesy and it's not, it doesn't have the capability to be deep when it's positive, but I don't think that's true at all either. But I think, like you said, our, our culture is, is often a reflection of our art and our media, our entertainment. Mm. Um, and I was watching this interesting interview with Emma Watson um, and I believe Caitlin Moran the other day, and they were talking about how we are at an era that we have the capabilities, the tools, the resources, the advancements to um, kind of create this utopia that we've always wanted to, but we as a human race are at our most hopeless and we have the least amount of faith that we have ever had in, in our history, like a few hundred years ago, people were writing their art reflected utopias, the possibilities, um, yeah, a romanticized future. And we, what do we have now? We have, you know, and end of the world apocalyptic literature that's like, that's saying that everything is coming to an end. Well, when you believe everything is coming to an end and the world is over, you're going to treat the world like it's over and you're not going to care. Yeah. yeah. Or if you think that humanity is going to hell, you're not going to mm. make mm. sure it doesn't. Yeah. So I think, to tie it all together, I think we need to be making art that gives people hope. We need to be making art that reflects, that recognises the realities of the world we're living in, but also shows people that there is something better. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of holding mirror in front of society and saying this is what we are, but then also saying this isn't who we have to be. But then also even reflecting what are the advancements that we have made. Yeah. We have these tiny little computers in our pockets. Just getting them excited about the possibilities of how these technologies and advancements could be used. We have a come a really long way and we can't we can't undermine that, but not saying Oh well, oh, we're done. 
we've come so far, so let's be finished advancing. Yeah, exactly. No, we should always be moving forward. Yeah, giving people hope, giving people belief that they can create a better world, that they can create something better, that they have a role to play in creating this world, you know, that creativity has a role to play. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's always great to have you here, um, Chloe and Taylor. Really great to have you. Always good to be back with you, James. Um, I love talking about this stuff with you. We could probably talk about it all night. But, um, we have, we have. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, um, thank you for coming back again, and we'll definitely have you back again, you know. Sounds um, good. We're definitely looking forward to it, and thank you to everybody who listens to this podcast and all of James's other podcasts, and he's a good dude. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh, okay. Well, take care, everyone, and I hope you've enjoyed this, and um, I'll catch you soon. Thanks, James.